You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is, this text is found um, about midway through Jesus' sermon, uh, titled the Sermon on the Mount. It is a sermon that is primarily being preached to the disciples, but no doubt there is a crowd around him listening. Uh, No doubt you have lost people listening. If all it was was the disciples, you had one lost person listening, and that was Judas. But it wasn't just Judas being the only one lost. I believe there was other people that were within earshot of Jesus preaching this sermon uh, as he went up on the mountain to, and, uh, from, from the Sea of Galilee and sat down on this mountain and sat and began to teach what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, we find um, a couple of examples of how not to pray. And then Jesus contrasts those examples of how not to pray with how to pray. Over the next several weeks, I want us to spend our time at, at looking at this wonderful teaching about this prayer, that we're all familiar with it. Many of us know it by rote. You, uh, if you've grown up in sports in small-town America, it is, it is said in the locker room, and oftentimes it is said before a game, after a game, sometimes during a game if a player gets hurt. It is a very common prayer, but I, I, I hope that we would not say this prayer, but that we would pray according to this prayer. Let me, get, let me give you an example of, of not just saying the prayer. If I was to invite you over and say, would you, would you come over to my house or let's, let's sit down and let's have a cup of coffee and let's say things to each other. That would be weird, wouldn't it? We're not going to sit down and have a cup of coffee and say things to each other. Now, we are going to say things, but the intention is not to sit down and say things to one another. The intention is to have have a conversation with one another. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, is where we're going to be. Just a few years before Billy Graham passed away, Greta Van Susteren had the opportunity to interview him in his home. Greta asked Billy Graham, the great Reverend Billy Graham, asked him, she said, Mr. Graham, if you had the chance to do it all over again, if you could go back and start over and do it all over again, what would you do, if anything, would you you do anything different? Without any hesitation, immediately, Billy Graham said these words, If I could go back and do it all over again, I would spend more time in prayer. Can you imagine the ministry that Billy Graham had? He said, I would spend more time, actually to quote it, he says, I would spend more time in meditation and prayer. And then he followed it up with this. 
I would take less speaking engagements and spend more time in prayer. Now think about that. Every time Billy Graham spoke, it seemed like just the crowds came. I mean, Billy Graham was at the grocery store one time and just, and just uh, was, was, was speaking and crowds of people came. That's an overstatement. But I mean, he just spoke and people came to faith in Christ. And looking back, here's a man who's at the very end of his life. He knows his, his days are numbered. He's looking back over his life, and he says, if I could do it all over again, I would spend more time with God in prayer, meditating on his work. work. Now, he, when he said I would, when I would uh, take less speaking engage, engagements, he's not talking about the large crowd events, the, uh, the, the, the large uh, revivals and crusades that he would have. He was talking about some of the smaller things that just kind of ate up some of his time. He is saying that I would, I would rather take some of those moments, spend it in God's Word, spend it in prayer, and meditate on who God is. Oh, may we not be hard-headed. Boy, this is for me, myself, just, just saying this to myself as well. May I not be hard-headed and think I can make it through life with very little prayer. May we learn from someone like Billy Graham and not wait to the end of our life and say, man, I wish I would have spent more time with God in prayer. Listen, you can learn many things, but you can learn nothing better than how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Go there with me. Let's look at it for a second. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, therefore, which is a reference to the, uh, the few examples of how not to pray, and we'll, we'll get into those here in just a moment. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also are forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, I pray that through your word, you would speak mightily to us. Oh, I'm included in that us, God. I, I need to hear your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would show us how to pray. God, I pray that as we look at this first phrase this morning, our Father, may we, may we understand the gift of being able to say those two words. May we understand the beauty of those two words. May we not ignore it. May we not run from it. But God, may we run to it. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. A few things I want to say this morning is prayer is not talking at God, but prayer is talking with God. There is a big difference. And I'm telling you, when I learned that, when I learned that one principle, it changed the way I prayed. Prayer is not talking at God, but it is talking with God. And it is my hope this morning that through this Our Father sermon series, that your desire for prayer to communicate with God, not adding, but to communicate with God would grow. 
if, maybe, maybe, maybe this has also been my prayer, that your desire uh, would be reignited. Maybe you've had a desire to pray before, but it's, it's lost some of its flame. It's lost some of its passion. I mean, it is my prayer over the next several weeks that it would be reignited as we look at the elements of this, this, uh, this wonderful, wonderful prayer that God gives us as a model. Our Father, the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe, has given us an all-access pass into His presence. Think about that for a second. The one who, who breathed this world into existence, the one who, who keeps this world completely in order, has given us an all-access pass. Listen, you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to your mama or daddy. You can pray directly with the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. What a beautiful, beautiful gift. What a treasure. What a blessing for the child of God to be, to have been given this gift. It's called prayer. Now, I believe often, oftentimes there are roadblocks. There are questions. And I, I've tried to narrow down the, the questions of prayer into four um, Four thoughts, if you will, four ideas, four questions that people have. Often, oftentimes, I believe when people struggle with prayer, they're asking these questions. They're, they're somewhat alike. They're a little bit different. Let me, let me give them to you. I think one of the questions that, that people ask that are struggling with prayer is this, why pray? I believe that's the first question that many people who are battling or struggling with prayers is why pray? Why tell God, the second one is, is like it, why tell God something He already knows? God is an all-knowing God. Why do I need to tell Him something He already knows? A third question that's almost similar is this, why should I ask for something that He already knows I don't need? Why should, I ask for God, why should I ask God for something that He knows, He already knows that I don't need it? And if I don't need it, he is not going to provide for it. The fourth question is also very similar. Why should I ask God for something that he already wants to give? Those four questions, I believe, are the questions that I believe those summarize a, a mountain of questions that keep Christians from praying. Let me, let me answer those questions with two statements, and then I'm going to get into the meat of the sermon. The first step, statement that I want to make that I believe answers that question is this, God is not in need of direction or instruction. Now think about the questions that we have about prayer. Why pray? Why do I need to tell something, that, uh, why do I need to tell God something that He already knows? Listen, prayer God, I'm sorry, God is not in need of direction or instruction. You can't tell God something that He already knows. One wise preacher said it this way. He says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? 
Listen, sometimes we think that, that God is, is, is up there multitasking. He's, he's taking care of the universe. He's taking care of all of His children. And then, and then we decide to, uh, to, to, to drum up the, uh, the courage to, to pray because we're, we're going through a struggle, we're going through a battle, or we need some direction. And, and, and sometimes we think we're, we're instructing God, and it's like it catches His ear. And He goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Puts the world on pause. What did He say? What did she say? No, no, listen. Nothing has ever occurred to God. We are not instructing. God is not in need of instruction. God is not in need of directions. Listen, I believe oftentimes our prayers are little more than a to-do list of things. We think God needs to do for us. Our prayers often look like this. God, I need, and you fill in the blank. God, would you, would you help this person stop bothering me. God, would you, would you give me this? God, would you allow for this to happen? God, will you open up this door? And our prayers begin to just look like a, a laundry list or a to-do list. Now listen, the Bible does tell us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible does tell us. Look at what it says. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That is key. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. If, if, you're, if you have your Bible open to that text, underscore that phrase. With thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Sometimes we get so distracted by the first phrase, don't worry about anything. And we miss the power behind what God is trying to show us here. It's interesting that as you give to God the things that are distracting us, as you give to God the things that are causing us to worry, that's causing anxiety in our life, as we give to God those things with thanksgiving, our focus changes from those things to who God is. You see, our, our, our understanding of the whole situation changes when we follow Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It takes our focus off of the things. It places our focus on who God is. And it reminds us of what God has done for us. Listen, there's a big difference in bringing our needs to our Father and instructing Him of our needs. You know, I believe one of the reasons we struggle with prayer is that we learn to pray in the valleys. It's the only time. We learn to pray when it's a dark season. And we're behind the eight ball at that time. We're struggling at that time. We're needing answers immediately at that time. And we bring our request to Him, and we have nothing for Thanksgiving. We have no knowledge of what God has done for us. Because we haven't been praying when we've been on the mountaintop. We haven't been praying when things seem to be smooth sailing. It's when we're in the valley that we finally learn to trust God in prayer. 
And Jesus is here not, not teaching on prayer when the disciples are in the valley. He's not teaching them about prayer when they're on the Sea of Galilee and the storm is blowing. He's not teaching them about prayer when he is about to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. He is teaching them about prayer where many of us in this sanctuary are at at this moment when, there's, when, the, when the waves aren't, aren't even a ripple. Now, there's some people in here this morning who you're in a storm. And you need to learn about prayer now. And you need this. I'm telling you, every single one of us in this sanctuary, myself included, need to be reminded of the beauty and the power and the gift of prayer. Listen, God is not in need of direction. He's not in need of instruction. Let me give you the the second point that I believe kind of answers these questions is this. God is not listening for impressive speech. I, I wrote this point down and I thought I, I could camp out right here the rest of the morning and evening. I believe this is what destroys Christians from preaching. Or, I'm sorry, from praying. It's the thought that they have to have impressive speech. Somewhere in our Christian walk, we heard someone pray beautifully and we thought, man, if I could just pray like that, my world would be okay. I can't pray because I can't pray like her, or I can't pray like, like him. Listen, God's not listening for impressive speech. Listen, sometimes when we get caught up trying to pr- impress God, what we're really trying to do is impress the people who are listening to us pray to God. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Look there with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus is giving instruction on how to pray. It's interesting that the first thing he says on how to pray is how not to. You see, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding of prayer. There's a lot of abusing the, the right to pray. And Jesus' first instruction on prayer is don't do it this way. Look, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Look at what he says. Whenever you pray, you must not be. Like the hypocrites, literally, you must not be like the actors. You see, there's a bunch of actors who are praying, and you're getting burdened down because you can't pray like they do. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the actors, the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Listen, there's no reward for that type of praying. There's no answer to those type of prayers. There's no benefit to that type of prayer. Oftentimes, we don't pray because we go, man, I I don't know the Christian lingo. Exactly what Jesus is talking about in verse 7 and 8 is He continues this instruction on how to pray. He goes with how not to pray. Look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, don't babble. Don't just go on and on and on like the Gentiles since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Listen, those two instructions could probably free us up to prayer more than anything else. Listen, this ought to give us a sigh of relief that when I pray, I don't have to be a little junior Shakespeare. I don't have to use all of the colorful, beautiful language. When I pray, I don't have to have a lot of words. I don't don't have to go. I mean, when I pray, I've heard people say before, man, I I don't, I just, man, my prayers are kind of simple. I don't know how to pray a long time. You don't have Jesus saying, listen, you don't have to pray. 
The length of your prayer doesn't mean that, oh, Jesus is like, oh, they're finally there. Okay, now I hear them. Now I get what they're trying to say. Listen, if you can talk to your earthly father, you can talk to your heavenly father. If you can talk to a friend here on earth, you can talk to your friend in heaven whose name is God. I want you to write this phrase down. When we pray, God isn't listening to our voices. God is reading our hearts. Oh, this should set us free. When we pray, God isn't listening to our voices. He is reading our hearts. Listen, God, God understands modern day English. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to speak in a language that we are not familiar with. God understands Spanish. God understands, He even understands redneck. He's, he's, he's listening, but He's not listening for our voice. He is reading our heart. Here's why we pray. It's not to impress Him. It's not to instruct Him, but watch this. It is to invite Him. When we pray, we're not instructing Him. We're not giving Him direction. We're not, for sure, not trying to impress Him. We are inviting Him. God has given us, a prayer, given us the gift of prayer to allow us to connect with Him, to bond with Him, right in the middle of our mess or in the center of our happiness. Listen, no matter where we're at in the stages of life or no matter what season that we are going through, God has given us a prayer to invite Him in. Listen, God doesn't need the invitation. He can bust right into our party at any time. But He's given us this gift to invite Him in. He allows us. He encourages us. He teaches us to invite Him into our world. But He doesn't need the invitation. Let me give you an illustration of this. When I was a little boy... Starting at the age of about six years old, five or six years old, I can remember going to the farm. Now, listen, I grew up in the city, and, and my granddaddy had a little farm. It's not like farms here. It was like two acres, okay? But that was a farm to me, all right? So don't, don't bust my bubble here, all right? But my granddaddy, in the summer times, I spent my summers with him. When I was about five or six years old, we would go to the farm. And I remember my granddad saying, I need some help driving on the dirt road. You think you could help me? <laughs> yeah. You think I could help you? Of course I could help you. And it started out sitting on his lap, driving on the dirt road up the mountain to his little farm. And that went on for months and a couple of years. And I remember as I got a little bit older, we had been working on the farm. We'd been out there all day long. And I remember him saying to me, I am exhausted from the work. Do you think that you could drive to the highway, which was about a three to four mile trek? And it, listen, the high, driving to the highway was part road. Listen, it was part pavement. I had made the big time. I wasn't just driving dirt road. I was now driving pavement all the way to the highway. There was a little convenience store right there at the highway. And I remember 
as I was driving, we parked at the little, little convenience store. I got out, and I was a long, tall Texan with a 10-gallon hat. Man, listen, I, I was ever bit of about four feet tall, but I felt like I was ever bit of seven feet tall. My granddaddy had invited me to help him. And I can remember saying time, him saying at times when we would be working together, at the end of the day, he would say something like this. I don't know if I could have done that without you. I'm telling you, you talk about making a little kid feel good. And now that I've gotten a little bit older, I know he didn't need me at all, but he invited me. I remember thinking that my granddaddy was like some cheapskate at times because we would be at, out at the farm and, and he would say, hey, we need to go straighten nails. Now I understand that that is code for, you're driving me crazy. Let's go do some busy work. But I'm telling you, he invited me in. He didn't have to. He didn't need my help. He didn't need me to drive down the road, but he, in, he invited me. And reverse that just a little bit. Listen, we can, we can invite God into our world, into our mess, into our happiness, no matter what. We, he, he doesn't need the invitation, but he allows us to invite him into our presence. Listen, God's given us this gift to invite him into our mess. He can do it without us. But why would we go through it? Why in the world would we go through it without Him? Listen, I want to share just a couple of things. A couple of things that happen when we say our Father. Point number one. When we say our Father, we are expressing God's nature. When we say our Father, we are expressing God's nature. What is God's nature? It is Father. God's nature is Father. And throughout history, philosophers have been, have been trying to figure out who God is, and they've got all kinds of statements out there. Here's a few of them. Aristotle called God the unmoved mover. In other words, Aristotle believed that, that you could pray if you wanted to, but you're not going to change God's plan. God is unmoved by our prayers. Aldous Huxley, he called God the eternal unknown, that you could never know uh, this, this deity that people called God. Now, oftentimes, I read on social media or you hear people talk just in, in conversation and they, and they use this flippant, disrespectful phrase to, of a reference of God and they say something like this, it's the man upstairs. The man upstairs. Well, let's just talk to the man. I remember thinking as a kid, what a creepy statement. Like the man upstairs, does he ever come down? Like, I mean, that really bothered me as a little kid. The man, I heard that from time to time. The man upstairs, you hear, you still hear it today. It hasn't changed. People still say that. The, the, the man upstairs. Does he know? Does the man upstairs, does he ever come down? Or does he even know what's going on down here on the ground level? Listen, if God is simply the man upstairs, I want you to think about this. If God is simply the man upstairs, then I have to go to Him. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us we don't have to go to Him. God came to us in the man named Jesus. He came to us. You see, if He is the man upstairs, then I have to wonder if I'm good enough to walk up the staircase. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us we're not good enough. That's why He sent Jesus Christ, to live a perfect, sinless life. 
to die for his to die for us, to shed his blood for us. Listen, if God is simply the man upstairs, and I have to wonder, will I be accepted when I get upstairs? Like, like if I'm capable of even making the trek up the stairs, will, will I get accepted when I get there? You see, there's this all kinds of unknown. It's unknown if he's even up there. It's unknown if I'll be accepted. It's unknown if I'm good enough. Isn't the Bible tells us that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, for my unworthiness to stand in the presence of God. Jesus' blood washes away all my sins. He cleansed me. He cleansed you, child of God. He purified you, child of God. And listen, He dwells within us. His dwelling within us makes Him a whisper away when we pray. He is right there. When we say our Father, we are expressing God's nature. When we say our Father, we're expressing God's nature as Father, but we're not, we're not merely attributing to God human attributes and making God into our image. This is where a lot of people struggle at with this part of the prayer. Our Father. And they, and they, they put a humanity. They, they, they throw the only thing that they know, humanity, mankind, uh, hit those characteristics on God. Listen, is, is, God, is God man? No. Is God woman? No. God is spirit. But not only is He spirit, He is also Father. We're not talking about biology here. We're talking about theology. And if we miss this point, hear me, if we miss this point that, that God is Father, we, all of Scripture is skewed. We throw, if we miss this, that God is Father, not biology, but theology, then we throw all of our worldly understanding of, of our Father or maybe someone else's Father on God the Father. Because if we miss this, we reflect onto God all of our human experiences. Listen, that's great. Hear me. If you have had a godly Father, that's great. But if you haven't, this throws you into a tailspin. There's many people that haven't. There's many people who've been neglected by fathers. There's some who have been abused by fathers. There's some who have been raised by dishonest fathers, maybe even absent fathers. Listen, divine fatherhood is not a reflection of mankind. But listen, human fatherhood should be a reflection of divine fatherhood. You see, sometimes we get those reversed. We can't. Listen, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is showing us that God is a good father. I want to show you something else. God is a good father, but He is, he is not a distant father. For the child of God, one who has placed their faith in Him, He is always present. This is what's so beautiful about prayer is that God is always present. We're not waiting in line. We're not pushing one to hold for English. We don't have to wait for a response back. Listen, we can talk directly to God. Look at Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 through 3. 
Listen, as I, as I chose to pull this scripture out, it's my prayer that you would learn this before you get into the turmoil. If you haven't, trust it now. But if, if you're not in a turmoil now, oh, trust it. Learn to trust in this. Psalms 46, 1 through 3. Look at what it says. God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, look at the response of that. Okay, so therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles, even though the earth is trembling, we're not going to be afraid. Even though the mountains topple in the depths of the sea, we're not going to be afraid. Though its water roars and foams, we're not going to be afraid. And the mountains quake with its turmoil, we won't be afraid. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. Here's what the psalmist is trying to get us to see. That no matter what turmoil we can go through, God is our refuge. God is our strength. He's saying this, that God is ever-present. He is right in this with us. Listen, when we say Father, we are expressing God's nature. Our Father, who is always present. Our Father who is always present. Now, point number two. When we experience God's... I'm sorry, when we say our Father, we experience God's nurture. Other one was nature, Father, always present. When we say our Father, we experience His nurture. To be nurtured means to be taken care of. Whenever a couple brings a child into this world through birth or through the wonderful gift of adoption, they are responsible for that child. If they don't take care of that child, what happens? They, they get in trouble for neglect. Here's the good news. You ready? The good news is this, that God will never neglect His children. God never forgets us. God never loses us. God never pushes us out. Scripture says that He will never leave us or forsake us. Our Heavenly Father will never have His children taken from Him. Oh, may we, may we see the nurture in that, that God, God will never be charged with neglect and have His children taken from Him. The Bible tells us that there is nothing in this world that can take us from His hand. Why is that? Because we experience His nurture. When the mountains shake, when the waters roar, we will not be afraid. We experience His nurture. He is the God who is and always will take care of us. Maybe you're asking, how does He, how does he get to be our Father? He doesn't have responsibility for the, I believe we're at 7.6 billion people in the world today, does he? Does God have responsibility over every single person? Well, as sovereign king and judge, he does. Every 7.6 billion people on the earth today and growing every single day will answer to God as king and judge, but not as father. There's a universal, there's a theology of this universal of fatherhood 
and brotherhood. I believe it's what it's called, universal fatherhood and brotherhood, meaning this, that, that, that God is father to everyone, and we are all brothers. Well, that sounds nice. That sounds good. That sounds uh, loving, but it's simply not true. He is the creator of all. And in the very broadest sense, I guess, the word father, you could say he is the, he is the father of all, but not in the spiritual sense. Only those who have been born again can call Him Father. Only those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can call God Father. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 44, when He was speaking to the Pharisees, listen to those who, those who thought they had a relationship with God, who thought they could call Him Father. Listen to, what, listen to what Jesus says. You are of your father, the devil. Here's a group of people who are part of the population. They're part of God's creation. And Jesus says to them, you are of the Father, you are of your Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your Father's desires. Listen, in this world there are some who are children of God and there are some who are sons and daughters of the devil. We don't become God's child until we are born into God's family. John chapter 1 verse 12, follow along with me in this verse. Listen to what Jesus says. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be called children of God. Listen. Our Father is only a right to those who have received Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of our life. May we not fall into this false theology that God is, is daddy over everyone. That God is father over all. No, no, listen. Only those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in His name. Listen, when we say our Father, we are experiencing God's nature. Father will never leave us. We're experiencing His nature. Listen, He will care for us. He will correct us. This, is, this throws so many people off. That why, if God is a loving God, why is He correcting me? Do you know the difference between cash and credit? Let me give you this instruction, and then I'm going to close right here. You know the difference between cash and credit? Cash is this. It's paid right at the moment something is purchased. Credit, payment is coming. Listen, for the, ch for the child of God, God is dealing with us on cash. The moment we struggle, He pays us for it. The moment we fall, we get paid for it. Unbelievers are being treated with credit. Payment's coming. Listen, if you know anything about credit, you always pay a, a, a steeper price with credit than you do with cash. Oh, listen. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do it today. I'm telling you there is a gift of salvation that you will not regret. And God has given us a gift of prayer that you will, listen, 
it will, it will radically change your life when you see the beauty of communicating with God on a moment my moment, day by day basis. Give your life to Jesus today. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.